Oh, good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 20, looking at verses 19 through 21. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. James, I love you, man. Thank you for your leadership. Man, it's, we've missed worshiping with our church family. Thank you, and thank you to everybody who was up on the platform this morning leading us and singing and playing those beautiful instruments. Well, it is good to be back with you. We have missed you. I want to thank you very much for the time of sabbatical that you granted us. It was a very restful time and a very productive time. We got to see a lot of family and friends and got some projects done around the house, got addicted to Wordle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. It's a little word puzzle that's really popular right now. As some of you know, we did have COVID go through our family a couple weeks back, but praise God that that was fairly mild and we all got through it okay, aside from a little fatigue and a little brain fog. So that is my excuse this morning. If I say something that makes no sense, we will blame it on the COVID. But uh, God is good. And I look forward to sharing with you more about my sabbatical, and we'll do that in coming days. But this morning, I want to share with you from God's Word. So let's turn our attention to that. And again, we will be in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. This morning begins a little three-part sermon series I've entitled The Church. The church is a topic that I thought a lot about while I was away on sabbatical. Over the last seven Sundays, our family visited several churches, and as we all know, there is no church like home, but uh, it's interesting to go and observe and worship with some other church families from time to time. We worshiped at one church that was very big. We worshiped at some that were very, very small. Uh, One church had a choir. One church sang all their songs a cappella. A couple had praise bands. One church sang to music on a CD. But no matter the size of a church, no matter the location or context of a church, no matter the style or personality of a church, there are some things according to Scripture that should define every church. I suppose if we pulled out a whiteboard this morning and I pose the question to all of you, what qualities should define the local church, and wrote down your answers, we could probably fill the entire whiteboard with good, solid answers directly from God's Word as to what a church should be. But for our purposes in this series, I boil that answer down to three key attributes of what should define a local church. And here they are. This is what we're going to be talking about the next three Sundays. Number one, a local church is to be missions minded. That is to say, it is to be outward focused. We will learn today that we are sent out by the Savior. Number two, a local church is to be a covenant community. A church is not merely a collection of individuals who gather in the same room once a week and sing some songs and hear a speaker, but rather it is a community in covenant together, holding one another accountable to live in such a way as to glorify God and to point people to Jesus Christ. So we'll talk about that next Sunday. And then number three, a church is to be a faith family. We are to rejoice together and suffer together. We are to bear one another's burdens, and in general, we're to support one another in this journey that we call life. That will be two weeks from today. So these will be our topics over the next three Sundays, and today we start with the topic of a church being missions-minded. And we'll be looking at three principles related to that. 
Now, right off the bat, I'll tell you, I have a little bit of an issue with the term missions-minded. I like the term, which is why I used it. It's good alliteration, which we preachers always like. But I will also say this, being missions-minded does us no good whatsoever if we are not also on mission. Being missions-minded does us no good if we are not missions-obedient. When I ask my kids if they did their homework, I'm not going to be real happy if they say, well, no, but I thought a lot about it. In like manner, it's not sufficient for us to merely think about missions or talk about missions. We actually have to be engaged in missions. The book of James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So when I speak of being missions-minded this morning, just understand the implication is not excuse me, rather the implication is that we are not just thinking about missions, but that we are actually doing missions. That being said, from where in Scripture do we get the idea that a local church is to be missions-minded? From where do we get the idea that we are to be active in going out to show people the love of Christ and tell people about Him? Well, we could go to any number of passages in the Bible that would support that assertion. For instance, we could go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the passage commonly known as the Great Commission. We could go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which tells us to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the passage that we're going to look at today is in John chapter 20. In this passage, it is the very evening of Christ's resurrection. It is Easter Sunday night. And where we pick up reading, we find Jesus' disciples are gathered together. But what are they doing? It may surprise you to know that they are not out celebrating the resurrection. They're not out telling people that the tomb is empty. Rather, they're afraid, and they're hiding, and they're cowering behind closed doors. And what we'll learn today is that Jesus supernaturally appears to them and says, guys, you cannot stay here. I am giving you a mission to accomplish. As we consider the necessity for our church to be missions-minded, we're going to learn three important principles in today's text that will help us in that endeavor. I believe this is a message that our church and the church at large desperately needs to hear in this day and time. May the Holy Spirit open our hearts to the word of the Lord. Let's begin reading with John chapter 20. In the first part of verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And we will pause there. The first principle I want us to learn this morning is this. We see this in these words we just read. Principle number one is that fear drives us inward. Again, it is the night of the resurrection. The last three days have completely rocked the disciples' world. They have seen their master arrested. They have seen him put on trial, beaten, mocked, crucified, and now his body is gone. When Jesus was arrested on Thursday night, the disciples scattered in fear. The prophet Zechariah foretold this would take place centuries before Christ, saying, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. Of course, Peter gets a lot of blame, doesn't he? He notoriously denied that he even knew Jesus three times in, in that night. But it wasn't just him. 
It was nearly all the disciples. Of the remaining 11, only John was present when Jesus died on the cross. All the rest were hiding. And now on Sunday night, they've managed to find each other at least, but they're still hiding. They're cowering behind closed doors. The Greek here suggests that the doors were not merely closed, but that they were actually locked or obstructed in some way. I can imagine the disciples moving every piece of furniture they had in that room in front of that door. They didn't want anyone coming in that room. Why? Why were they in that place acting like that? Well, the Scripture says it was for fear of the Jews. As we said, fear drives us inward. Fear causes us to withdraw from our fellow man and to withdraw from the mission that God has given us. The disciples were afraid that what happened to Jesus would happen to them next. They were afraid that the Jewish leaders, when they found out that they were Jesus' disciples, would arrest them and crucify them on a Roman cross, and they didn't want any part of that. We can't blame them. But here we find them holed up in this little room, hiding from the outside world. But before we're too hard on the disciples, I would submit to you that you and I can be guilty of the same thing. Our churches can be guilty of the same thing. We can be guilty of living in fear, of locking ourselves behind closed doors, figuratively and literally, and not fulfilling the mission to which Christ has called us to spread the gospel, to make disciples. Now, this is not new. Fear has always been a deterrent from God's people sharing the gospel. Anyone who has made an effort to share their faith has experienced fear at one point or another. For instance, we often think, what if I'm laughed at? What if I'm rejected? What if I'm persecuted? What if someone asks me a question I don't know the answer to? What if I screw this up somehow and actually push someone further away from God? Those kinds of fears are very common. Although, can I tell you a secret? The more obedient we are to share the gospel, the more those fears pull back and reduce, like a lot of other things. But now in this age in which we live, we have all these other fears piled up on top of the fears we already had. If I can speak candidly, this is due largely to the pandemic that we're going through and have been going through now for a couple of years. I want you to please hear my heart and what I'm about to say. In many ways, the pandemic has made us afraid to live. It has made us afraid of our fellow man. And in many cases, it has made us fearful to engage the mission that Christ has given us. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You guys know, I think you know me, I'm not one who says that we should throw caution to the wind regarding the pandemic. I believe in taking precautions. I believe in using common sense and having a healthy respect for a virus that has taken the lives of many, including some that we love very dearly. Frankly, there may be some particular things that we can't or shouldn't do right now, depending on the circumstance. There may be times that we need to adjust our plans, and we've done that. But here's the deal, and here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. We also can't live in fear. We cannot huddle behind the closed doors of our church or the closed doors of our home or the closed doors of our heart 
and not engage a lost and dying world. That is simply not an option. Throughout history, God's people have always been the first to go into difficult circumstances, not to hide back, not to hold back. People all around us need Jesus. They're scared, they're hurting, they're lonely, and we in this room have the good news that they need. So what I'm saying is that the mission must go forward. We must find ways to take it forward, even during a pandemic. We cannot let fear drive us inward as it did the disciples on Resurrection Day. As a church and as individual Christians, we must be obedient to go out and share the gospel. And there is one thing we know. God does not give a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. But that raises the question, how do we overcome fear? Well, we can't do it on our own, but there is one who can help us. Look now, if you would, at the last part of verse 19 and verse 20. It says, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Here's principle number two. Faith in Jesus overcomes fear. As the disciples are huddled behind closed doors trying to process all that's taken place in recent days, wondering where Jesus even is, all of a sudden the most amazing thing happens they could possibly imagine. Jesus is standing right before them. Now note the text never says that Jesus knocked on the door or that he opened the door. Remember, it was probably locked or barricaded. He just appeared. Jesus did this sometimes after he was resurrected. A lot of commentators believe that Jesus at this point had his glorified body that wasn't necessarily subject to the same natural laws that our natural bodies are subject to. Maybe when we get our glorified body, we'll just walk through stuff too. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. But Jesus did that a lot after his resurrection. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us that the disciples were afraid that they were seeing Jesus' spirit. Or in other words, that they were seeing Jesus' ghost. And when they realized that it really was Jesus, what was their reaction? Verse 20 says they were glad when they saw the Lord. But look at what Jesus does before that. He comforts them, saying, peace be with you. It's okay. It's me. And then he shows them his hands and his side, where they drove the nails through his hands, where they thrust the spear through his side. And then the disciples knew it really was Jesus in the flesh, not a ghost. One commentary describes the scene this way. When Jesus miraculously enters the room where the disciples are hiding, he discovers a group of men trembling in fear. But once they see him, their fear melts. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Their fear turned to gladness and their sorrow turned to joy. Listen, the key to overcoming fear is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Not just salvific faith at the time of our conversion, but ongoing faith every single day of our life. Jesus Christ, the one whom we follow, has conquered death and hell. And not only has he conquered, but he has promised victory for us, his church. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, when we spend time with Jesus, when we gather with his church, when we remind each other of these truths, then it gives us boldness to overcome our fears and be faithful to the mission that Christ has given us. Conversely, when we neglect our relationship with Christ, when we neglect prayer and Bible study, when we neglect the gathering of the saints, it's very easy for us to forget that we have Jesus on our side. It's easy for us to forget that he is always with us and we need not be afraid. Now, does faith in Jesus mean we're never going to have challenges or that difficult things are never going to happen to us in this world? Of course not. Christians get sick. Christians lose their job. Christians experience broken homes and relationships. The point is not that bad things will never happen to us if our faith is in Jesus. I think we all know better than that. The point is that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus is always with us. Whatever happens, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. No matter what we face in this world, we can do so with courage because our faith is in Jesus. We don't have to live in fear of anything or anyone. Are you struggling with fear this morning? Are you struggling with anxiety in these dark days? Focus on Jesus. Meditate on his word. Pray to him. Worship him. Remind your heart that he is on the throne and you are his child. And just like the disciples, you will find peace for your soul and you will find joy for your journey. Faith in Jesus overcomes fear. Let's read our last verse this morning to find our third principle. It is verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Principle number three is this. Jesus sends us outward. The primary reason we as a church must be missions-minded is because the Lord Jesus Christ himself has sent us out. Unfortunately, the default state of our sin nature is not to go out, but to settle in. It is natural for us to settle within the walls of the church building, within the walls of our home, within the walls of our own heart, where it is safe and pleasant and comfortable and risk is kept at a minimum. But brothers and sisters, this is not the example that Jesus set for us. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, there's a lot we could draw out of that statement, but the point is, if we want to see how we should be on mission, we need look only to our Lord, who was himself and is himself the ultimate missionary. Remember what Jesus gave up. 
in order to bring salvation to us. He left the glory of heaven. He left the presence of the Father. He left a realm more beautiful and wonderful than anything we could possibly imagine to come to a fallen world full of sin and sickness and sadness and become one of us. Jesus left his throne in heaven because he loved you and me and because he was sent by the Father. And now he in return sends us. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. If Jesus left heaven for us, how can we not leave the comfort of our pew, the comfort of our couch, to tell others about him? I'm not necessarily talking about going on a mission trip halfway around the country or halfway around the world, although we should be open to that. I'm just talking about being on mission for God where we live where we work, where we learn, where we play. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, we must live as one who is sent. We never see anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus says to the multitudes, hey, if y'all want eternal life, you know where to find me. You come to me. No, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. One of the great truths of Scripture is that Jesus comes after us. He pursues us. In like manner, if we are to be obedient to Christ and follow His example, we do not have the luxury of sitting in our pristine church buildings and saying to a lost and dying world, if you want salvation, you know where to find us. No, we must get our hands dirty. We must go to them. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And what did Jesus do when he went out? He showed the love of God in tangible ways, such as healing the sick and feeding the hungry and casting out demons. But he also verbally shared the gospel, calling people to repent and believe. And if we're to follow in Jesus' footsteps, we must do what he did. As a church, we must find practical ways to show people the love of Christ and verbally share the gospel of Christ. And it's not an either or, it must be a both and. We must both show the love of Christ and tell the gospel of Christ. And we do this all in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we see in verse 22, not a verse we read, but an important verse. Nonetheless, Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. In the weeks and months to come, my prayer and my plan is that our church will be very intentional in having an outward focus, that we will give all of you opportunities to be involved in the mission of Jesus. Why must we be missions-minded? Why must we be missions-obedient? Because we are sent. As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. Spurgeon said it well when he said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Which will it be for you? Which will it be for me? Jesus sends us outward. As we come to a time of response, 
We've seen today that the New Testament church must be missions-minded. Not only must we have a mind for missions, as we've said, we must have a heart and a hands for missions as well. Fear is a liar. Fear is an enemy that seeks to drive us inward. But faith in Jesus frees us from our fear and propels us outward to fulfill the mission he has given us. We are a sent people. Christian, let me ask you today, are you living as one who is sent? Do you approach every day of your life as though you are a missionary for Christ, an ambassador of King Jesus, imploring people to be reconciled to God? Christian, when was the last time that you shared the gospel? When was the last time that you invited someone to church? When was the last time you just tried to plant a little gospel seed in someone's life? If it's been a while, as I suspect it has for many of us, would you ask God today to give you a passion, a burden, to be his missionary? Would you ask God to take away your fear and give you boldness and courage to be obedient to him? Would you pray that same prayer for our church? That as a body of believers, that Selmore Baptist would be faithful to be on mission? That we as a church would not huddle behind closed doors, but that we would strive to impact our community and our region and our nation and our world? with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And finally, let me ask you the very most important question. Have you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Are you sure today that you're a Christian? Are you positive that if you die today that you would go to heaven? Before we can minister to others, we have to make sure our own heart is right. And if you've not yet given your life to Christ, you can take care of that right now. Admit to God you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. Commit your life to him. God will save you and he'll give you eternal life. I'm going to ask the musicians if they would to come at this time and we're going to have a song of response this morning. If you're here today and you have any decision that you need to make for the Lord, whether that be uh, salvation or baptism or church membership, or if you'd like to come during this time and pray for a personal need or pray for our church, you're welcome to do that. We'd encourage you to do that during this song that we're going to sing. Let me pray, and then we're going to stand, and we're going to sing this song together. In fact, let's stand now. Let's stand and let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the mission that you have given us. Thank you for the reminder that we see in John chapter 20 today that you do not give us a spirit of fear, that we must not allow ourselves to be drawn inward, but Lord, that you have sent us outward. Help us to be obedient to that as individuals and as a church. And I pray if there is anyone here today who does not know you as their Savior, that they might come and put their faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.